1: Scott we good shape I like working with somebody named Scott that's good makes me feel better <laughs> by the way if you don't like the preaching just put on one of your pastor's sermons and I'll try to lip sync to it all right <laughs> you know got to be nice to the people in the sound booth they have complete control over it you know uh, I drove in here last night saw these beautiful mountains and uh, just made me feel right at home I live in the mountains of West Virginia and uh, born and raised there in the hills my grandfather was a coal miner and a farmer and World War II vet, and so uh, that's my heritage and upbringing. Any of you ever been to West Virginia? I'm just curious. How many of you know it's a state? Yes? Not too far from here. And uh, we were in Tennessee, of course, for 20-some years, but uh, back in West Virginia now, living out of there and traveling all the time. But I really am excited about being with you for the next three days. We're going to have a great time in the Word of God together. Do you have a copy of the Bible with you this morning? you have a Bible? Very good. If you don't, slide down and get next to somebody that does because I don't have anything to say to you. What do you think of that? Nothing to say to you, but the Lord has much to say to all of us, and uh, we're going to study the Word of God together. I'm so happy you're here in the Sunday school hour, and I'll tell you why, because I'm going to introduce something this morning that I'm going to build on morning and night today and Monday night and Tuesday night, which means you're ahead of everybody that didn't come to the Bible study hour. Isn't that good? And so we're going to lay a little foundation and then walk through some things, and we'll have a good time. If you've got a pen handy and something to write on, I want you to get it. And I want you to make a few notes. Maybe you mark things in your Bible, maybe you don't. But if you don't, try to have something to write on so you can write a few things down. And I'm praying the Spirit of God will teach us all this week. Would you pray with me? And we'll launch into the Word of God this morning. Father, thank you for the joy and privilege we have to be children of God and a part of your family. Thank you, Lord God, for letting us be together today. We have so much to be grateful for. And I pray now, Lord, that you will guide us by your Spirit just like Jesus promised into all truth. Lord, may preacher and people be in tune with the Holy Spirit. And may we receive everything that you have for us this week. And we'll thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want you to open your Bible with me, if you will, to the Gospel according to Matthew, to Matthew chapter number 21. And we're going to begin here in the Word of God in this Bible study hour, and we are going to stay here for the next three days. So once you find Matthew 21 in your Bible, you may want to mark it, and that'll help you. I want you to do something this week, and that is not just be here for the meetings, but I want to encourage you to read the Word of God on your own time. And so you may want to mark Matthew 21 and just live in it devotionally for the next three days. That'd be a good thing uh, to meditate in the Scriptures. So when you come to the meetings, you'll be ready for all the things we're going to study together. But there is a reason that I'm bringing you to Matthew chapter 21 on this Lord's Day. Uh, There's a reason why I want to study here with you this week. This particular week that we are in, between what is commonly referred to as Palm Sunday, that's today, And next Lord's Day, Easter Sunday, I like the word resurrection, Resurrection Sunday, uh, is considered by many people the Holy Week. How many of you have ever heard that term before, the Holy Week? And they say that because this is the week that encompasses the triumphal entry of Christ all the way through the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. May I say this to you? For a child of God, every week is a Holy Week. So for those of us who know the Lord, every day is a Lord's Day, Uh, Every week is a week that God graciously gives to us. This is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So we we view every week as holy ground for the child of God. But the idea behind the Holy Week is that this is, may I use this expression, the most important week in the history of the world. I'm a history buff. Any other fellow history buffs in the room? I love history. I love uh, war history, I love presidential history, I love all kinds of history. But I'm going to tell you that the greatest history is the history of what God is doing in the world, a biblical history. In fact, some people have even said if you take the word history and break it down into two words, it literally is his story. I like that. So it is really not the story of men and movements and kingdoms and nations and And presidents and prime ministers and potentates no no it is the story of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and how he is working in this world and I have good news for you this morning to begin with it is this that the God of history is the God of the present and that the same God that we read about in Scripture is at work today and so when you come to Matthew chapter number 21 this is the beginning point for the most important week in the history of the world because Matthew chapter number 21 begins for us the record of what happened on this Sabbath, this, this uh, first triumphal entry of our Lord into the city of Jerusalem, what is referred to as Palm Sunday. So here's what we're going to do, all right? There's method to the madness. Here's what we're going to do. On this Lord's Day, I have three meetings with you, and we are going to study today everything that happened on Palm Sunday. Would you like to know what happened on Palm Sunday? And not just what happened then, but how it relates to us. Then on Monday, we're going to meet together. Guess what we're going to study from the Word of God? What happened on the Monday of the most important week in the history of the world? And then on Tuesday, would you like to guess what we're going to study? We're going to study what happened on Tuesday of what happened the most important week in the history of the world. And somebody said, well, preacher, our meeting only goes to Tuesday. Yes, but I'm going to give you a little direction And a little guidance, and then I'm going to challenge you to study and spend some time in the Word of God. What happened on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, all the way up to next Sunday to Resurrection Sunday. What do you think about that? And we're going to get to know the Word of God better, and I I pray we're going to get to know the Christ of the Word better. And that's really what we hunger after. Let's begin where God begins. Look at Matthew chapter 21, verse number 1. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem. Now remember, the movement is towards the cross. So to this point, he's been in and out of Jerusalem. Uh, On occasion, but typically he kind of ducked in and ducked out. under cover, if you will. Not drawing a lot of attention to himself. This is different. This is really different. When they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus to disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. Pause just a moment in your reading, would you please? He's come to a very familiar place. The disciples knew it well, the Mount of Olives. Uh, by the way, the Mount of Olives has, has tremendous significance all through the Word of God. It's, a, it's an amazing place. Later this year, I hope to stand on the Mount of Olives. Uh, we're taking a group of folks to study the Bible in Israel, and we're looking forward to it. And uh, we've been trying to get there for two years. And with all that's going on in the world, it's been very challenging, let me tell you. I told somebody the other day, Uh, If I don't get to go this year, I know that someday in the millennial kingdom I plan to go. So one way or another, I'm going to visit. But I'm trying to get there as soon as possible. The Mount of Olives is an amazing place. On the side of the Mount of Olives is the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where our Lord would pray uh, over Jerusalem and pray on his way to the cross. By the way, prophetically, the Mount of Olives is the place where our Lord will return to someday. And his feet are going to touch down on that mountain And when he touches down, you've never seen a touchdown like that touchdown. When he touches down, the mountain is going to split in two and become a great valley where the Lord is going to bring final judgment. I mean, there's a lot of things connected to the Mount of Olives. But here they are. They come to the Mount of Olives, and the Lord sends two disciples to a little village. And he says to these two disciples, I want you to go find this donkey and the the colt of the donkey and bring them. I don't know why. I don't know why they had to bring them both. He's only going to ride on one of them. You're going to use one animal at a time, right? Uh, but for some reason, the Lord sends for both of them. Some Bible teachers believe that he's going to ride on the younger. We're going to see that in just a moment. He's going to ride on the colt. And so some Bible teachers believe that the colt would be better behaved if mama was along. Maybe that's right. I don't know. Uh, but for some reason, the two disciples are sent after these two animals. And look what the Bible says in verse 3. He says to them, and if any man ought say aught unto you, ye shall say, oh, I love this, the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. Now, we have a tendency, let's just be honest, we have a tendency in scriptures like this to almost breeze over these introductory thoughts and say, well, you know, this is, this is just the events surrounding it. This is just the details and the setting of the story. And we jump right in to the triumphal entry of Christ. Now, we're coming to the triumphal entry of Christ, and we're going to study what happens when our Lord rides into the city. But how many of you know nothing is in the Bible by accident? Now, I don't know what you believe. I can't speak for you. Let me tell you what I believe. I believe every word of the word is given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So nothing's there by accident. Nothing's coincidence. Nothing's, oh, yeah, that's just the way it worked out. No. And as a matter of fact, the Lord draws particular attention to this donkey, to this colt, because he says this was actually prophesied. This is powerful. Aren't you glad we serve a God who knows all the details? No, oh, wait a minute. He didn't just know the details. You ready for this? He controls the details. I remember as a kid growing up hearing people say, the devil's in the details. Have you ever heard that expression, the devil's in the details? Friend, for a child of God, the devil's not in the details. Our Lord is in the details. The good providence of a sovereign God, the Lord is in the twists and turns of life. He rules the good and he overrules the evil. Aren't you glad we are in God's hands? So notice what the Bible says in verse number 4. All this was done that it might be fulfilled. Mark that word in your Bible. God always fulfills everything he foretells. And so here's one of the Messianic prophecies related to Christ. And notice, he said it was spoken by the prophet. Anybody know which prophet? That's exactly right. Zechariah was the prophet. So just for fun, just for fun, all right, hold your place here in the gospel records and run back in your Old Testament with me for just a moment to the book of Zechariah. I promise you that is in your Bible. I I dare say it's the place where the pages still stick together. And the pages are all white and clean because we don't spend near enough time here. If you go to the end of the Old Testament, start working your way back, the next to last book, that's the easy way to find it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Zechariah, right? No. In the Minor Prophets, look at Zechariah chapter 9 and verse number 9. Here's the prophecy, and you might want to make a note of this reference because we're comparing Scripture with Scripture here. Somebody said the greatest commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So look at Zechariah 9 verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. By the way, isn't that exactly what they would do when Jesus came in? They would rejoice they would shout. Look just for a moment. Would you look at me just for a moment? G. Campbell Morgan said, painted fire never burns. I like that. In other words, fake enthusiasm, false emotion, surface sentimentality is not enough. It's got to be heart deep. And I love the fact he doesn't start here with a shout. He starts with the rejoicing. That's a heart word. He says, look, get the joy in your heart over who Messiah is. When the joy is in you, the shout will come out of you. I must tell you, every church is different. Every church is different. Every region of the country is different. Did you know that? I'll preach sometimes in a certain place, and they'll be shouting and amening and praise God, and then I'll go way up north. I was just in Michigan preaching two weeks ago, and I'll go to a a certain area where they're not as vocal, for example. And somebody says, what do you think about that? I really don't care about that. I, I don't measure my preaching by that. But I do believe this. I think when God starts working in your heart, God opens you up. Sin closes you up. The Lord opens you up. And so when these people found the joy, then suddenly they're willing to express it in some way. Shout, old daughter of Jerusalem. Here's the reason. Behold, look, thy king cometh unto thee. Did you notice the king is capitalized? So this is not... David, this is not Solomon. This is not any one of the kings of the Old Testament. No, no, this is the king that was prophesied. Thy king cometh unto thee. He is just. He is just. You ever get annoyed at leaders that are unjust? I mean, be honest. How many of you have watched the news and gotten a little aggravated that there seems to be so much injustice in our world right now? Let me just tell you, there's a ruler coming who is just. He is just and having salvation. What a beautiful couple thing here. He's the judge, but he's the Savior. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt the foal of an ass. Sound familiar? So you see here both his, his humanity and his glory. He's lowly. Here's the humility of our Lord Jesus, all man. And yet, he's coming in like a king. What's this? This is the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, the word of God's amazing. Christ is amazing. And so this is the prophecy that is fulfilled that we're reading about in Matthew 21. By the way, he's identified here as the king. Does anybody remember what Matthew does in his gospel record? What his emphasis is? Remember Mark shows him as the servant and Luke is the perfect man and John is the son of God. And Matthew's emphasis is he is what? He is the king. He's the son of David. He's royalty. And so Matthew gives us this emphasis and the fulfillment of this prophecy. Let me show you one other place. Go back to the gospel records with me just a minute. And instead of stopping in Matthew 21, I want you to come over to Mark chapter number 11. Now you can read about this in, in each of the gospel records. Uh, but let me draw your attention to Mark because Mark gives us some details Matthew doesn't give us. That's why you need all the gospel records. There's one gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. There are four gospel records. And they're just different descriptions, different angles or perspectives of the same Christ and the same events the Holy Spirit chose to give each of these Bible writers particular things to give that he did not have the others to record. So Mark is my favorite. Let me just full disclosure, all right? How many of you have a favorite gospel record? I'm just curious. How many of you would say Matthew's is your favorite? Anybody? Matthew? All right, a couple of you. How many of you are Mark? That's my favorite. Anybody? Luke? Dr. Luke? How about John? How many of you don't read the gospel records? Would you raise your hand, please? You've got to pick One. I had a Bible teacher who used to say his favorite was whichever one he was reading at the time. That's a pretty good answer, I think. That's all the Word of God. But look at Mark, Mark chapter 11, and you'll see the same story, just a little different perspective. When they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, wherein never man sat, loose him and bring him. Now you remember Matthew They brought the the donkey and the colt. Here, Mark emphasizes only the colt because really he is, may I use this expression, the main character. He's the one that our Lord's going to ride on. And so look at verse number 3. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met. And they loose him, and certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye, loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. I want you to take your pen and do something. Would you mark this expression in verse number 3? This is, this is what I want to talk to you about in this opening hour of the Lord's most important week and the most important week in the history of the world. It is this expression in verse 3, The Lord hath need of him. That's profound. The Lord hath need of him. (laughs) Now, stay with me just a second. Does the almighty, all-sufficient God need anything? Look, you can't add anything to God. You can't take anything away from God. He's perfect God. He's all-wise. He's all-present. He's all-powerful. He's all. That's enough. He's all. That's who he is. And yet, Do you find it interesting that the Bible would say here, the Lord hath need of him? Let me ask you a question. Who made the donkey? (laughs) The Lord did, yeah. Who who controls all of the the details of his creation and sustains it all? The Lord does. And yet, the Lord hath need of him. Would you write this down somewhere, maybe in the margin of your Bible or on a piece of paper? The only thing the all-sufficient God needs is what he chooses to use. I love this thought. He doesn't really need us. And yet, our sovereign Lord, the almighty God, in his perfect wisdom, chooses to use us. Now, I'm just going to tell you, that blows my mind. Your preacher was kind in his introduction to me. Let me tell you about me. All right, I'm going to tell you about me. Ready? I'm a pip squeak. That's what I am. I'm a peon, a speck of dust on the page of human history. I mean, a blip on the radar. I'm nothing. And by the way, I'm sorry, excuse me, I don't, I don't know anybody in this room, really. Do You know what I'm looking at today? I'm looking at a whole bunch of nothings. Because apart from God, that's what all of us are. We're made of the dust of the ground. Apart from the Lord, I mean, we're just a whole lot of nothing, and yet the Lord has need of us. Let me show you something. Hold your place right here. We're coming right back to Mark. Now, turn over to the book of Acts for just a moment. Acts chapter 17. Here's one of the great sermons of the Bible. Paul is preaching in Athens. Remember on Mars Hill, he's preaching about the unknown God? By the way, that's where we're living right now, in a world that doesn't know God. and We're living in Athens. Welcome to Athens, friends. That's what we're living in right now. A pagan society doesn't know the Lord. But notice how he begins his sermon. Look at Acts 17, verse 24. God, that's a pretty good starting place, isn't it? In the beginning, God. God that made the world and all things therein, Seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands. And notice this expression in verse 25, as though he needed anything. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. You might want to mark in your Bible, in verse 24, he made all things. And in verse 25, he giveth to all things and breath and all things, all, all, all. Somebody said all means all, and that's all all means. So God made it all. God sustains it all. God's over it all. God knows it all. God is all. So look at the phrase in verse 25, as though he needed anything. There's, there's tongue-in-cheek here, isn't there? There's almost a little humor, a little divine humor, <laughs> like, like God needs anything, like God needed the donkey like the Lord needs me, like the Lord needs you. You know, we get sometimes pretty pretty consumed with our own self-importance, don't we? Pretty consumed with who we are. We ought to be more consumed with who He is. I would say to you that this story we're reading in Matthew 21 and Mark 11 is really not the story of the donkey, it's the story of Christ. How I love this. And the only significance that colt had was the fact that the Lord needed him. Now I say to you, the only significance any of us find for life and for eternity, is in our connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. But ponder this just a moment. Something as simple and as insignificant as a donkey, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it because the Lord used it. That's powerful, isn't it? So with that in mind, go back with me to Mark chapter 11. Let me, let me give you some truths to write down here just as we begin our, our meditation of what the Lord did on this first Palm Sunday. Oh, I love it. God using lesser things so that he gets greater glory. That's just like our Lord, isn't it? You ought to study the animals of the Bible. You really should. And we're not going to get into this this morning. You ought to study all the animals of the Bible. Remember in Genesis, God made them all. Let Adam name them, but God made them all. How many of you love animals? I'm just curious. You know, some people are not animal lovers. That's why I ask. But uh, my family, we, we love animals. And I grew up out on a farm and we had animals. And I was recently in a place and They had lots of animals. I I, I like animals. I really do. But you ought to study the animals of the Bible. Uh, Donkeys especially. Did you know the oldest book of the Bible, the book of Job, identifies 14 different animals that God spoke through in some way, revealed some truth through? 14 different animals in the oldest book of the Bible. That's interesting to me. By the way, this is not the first time God has a message for us through a donkey. Anybody remember Balaam's donkey? Numbers 22. (laughs) Look, God can use anything He wants to to speak. He really can. Creation all around us speaks. This is the voice of God. The voice of the Creator is speaking. So, so God's speaking to us through a donkey, through, through this colt. All right, Lord, what do you have to say to us through your need of this colt? Well, here's the first truth. Would you write this one down? First of all, it reveals to us something about the purity that Jesus deserved. The purity He deserved. He is the all-pure Christ, the sinless one untainted by the world. A high priest, touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but not touched by sin. He's the pure Christ. So don't miss this, please. Look what the Bible says in verse number 2. He said, I want you to find a colt, and don't miss this, whereon never man sat. Did you ever ponder that? Not just any colt. No, no. It had to be the colt that no man had ever sat on. Which means not touched by man not defiled by by sinners. And by the way, uh, ponder this, also it meant that that colt was not tamed. You ever see a donkey before it's been broken? It's Pretty rough. Somebody said, Lord, that's what you're going to ride into the city on? Let me just tell you something. When the Creator gets on your back, you come under His control. Don't you know that moment That little colt knew the touch of the master's hand. There were the crowds chanting and screaming and hollering and people pushing and shoving. It's the feast day. It's the holiday. It's the most crowded time in Jerusalem. There's people everywhere. You think that might spook an animal like that, especially an animal that hadn't been tamed? Of course. Read the story with a little imagination. Hope it's sanctified imagination. But remember this, the Lord was the one in control of this animal. And so there's a purity that our Lord deserves from anything that he uses, from anything that he needs. The Bible says a colt, what is that? That's the younger of the two. May I say to you, I think the the great aim ought to be that as early in life as possible, we begin to yield ourselves to the Lord and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Don't wait to the end. And somebody says, well, I've waited too long, preacher. Well, then, dear brother, dear sister, start where you are. Don't waste another day. Don't let another day go by. So you want all of it to be given to the Lord and all of yourself to be given to the Lord. And so there's a beautiful picture here of the purity that our Lord deserves. Oh, but that's not all. Right down a second truth. There's also a purpose that He designed. What was the purpose that our Lord designed in this? You believe God has a plan? You believe God's always working His plan? All right, so if He doesn't do anything by accident, if it didn't just happen this way, What was the great purpose that Christ designed in this? Well, ponder this just a moment. What is a colt? What's a colt for? Maybe I should ask that question. It's a service animal. Some animals are pets, but you don't have donkeys just to have a pet. A donkey was a service animal. They They were bearers of burdens. May I say it that way? They pulled things and carried things. They were service animals. Oh, this is a glorious thought. Our Lord took a a lowly service animal and put it into the greatest service it would ever have. And I say to you that for the rest of this donkey's life, it never carried anything greater than when it carried Jesus into that city. May I tell you, the greatest service you are ever in is the service of the master. It's the greatest service. If I said to you, what do you do for a living? Or what did you do for a living? People would start saying things. May I tell you, what you do for a living and what you do for life are two totally different things. I'm not talking about your job. I'm talking about the work that God lets every one of his children be in. We are in the work of the Lord. You, you may not be the pastor, and you may never be an evangelist, but you can be one of the Lord's servants. You can be, excuse me, one of the Lord's donkeys. You can be one of the Lord's service animals. You can do something for the Lord. You can minister to somebody for the Lord. You can go somewhere for the Lord. There's a great purpose that our Lord is revealing here that he designs for every one of us, for the lowliest of us. Anybody else glad God uses common things? Not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise. Common things. Look, I grew up in the country. I, I, I grew up on a farm. I I grew up on Sand Branch Road. That sounds like a metropolis, doesn't it? And yet, I, to me, one of, most, one of the most awe-inspiring things after all these years to me is that God would allow me the privilege of being connected to His work in this world in any way. I mean, in any way. It's still just it's overwhelming to me to think that God would permit that. But isn't that just like the Lord? Because then God gets all the glory for it. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name be glory. Look, it's not us. It must be the Lord. Paul said, in me that is in my flesh dwelleth what? No good thing. So if there's no good thing in any of us, if we're all just a bunch of rotten, black-hearted, hell-deserving sinners, then it must be the grace of God at work in us. This is the purpose that our Lord designed in this, in this illustration, in this picture, and the great message to all of us. And by the way, what was the Colt's job this day? He probably had lots of jobs throughout his life of service. But what was his job this day? You ready for this? To lift up Jesus. Above the crowd, above the heads of the people, our Lord. Do you see him riding on that colt? What's the colt doing? One thing. You don't see the colt. You don't even think about the colt. Nobody lauded the colt. The colt just did his job. What was his job? Lift up the Lord Jesus. Remember what Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me, let me just tell you something. When you start lifting up Jesus, you will begin to see God doing a mighty work. Part of our problem is we haven't gotten low enough, and Jesus hasn't, hasn't been lifted high enough. And when we get low enough, and when the Lord gets lifted high enough, you begin to see great and mighty things that you know not. You really want to see revival. You you really want to see something happen for the Lord. You really want to see people come to Christ. I'm gonna tell you what has to happen. All of us have to find our place in the work of God and say to the Lord, Lord, we're a bunch of nothing, but Jesus is everything, and we're going to do everything we can, while we can, while we have opportunity to lift up Jesus Christ. And when the Lord's design purpose is being fulfilled, I tell you, you will see God do what only God can do. The Lord hath need of it. One well, little interesting footnote. Do you know who rode into cities like this? Two people. I love this. Kings and conquerors the only two people that ever rode into a city like this This is very significant this is not just you know his means of transportation by the way the Lord hath need of him do you realize how far he's just walked to get to Jerusalem it wasn't physical need don't you think he could have walked another couple miles into Jerusalem he's walked for miles and miles and miles Certainly, it wasn't physical. No, there was a beautiful symbolism, a spiritual symbolism here, because only kings would ride into the city like this and only conquerors would ride into the city like this and watch this, please. The Lord Jesus is revealing that He is both king and conqueror. He is the king. Do you believe he's the king? He's the king of Israel? Oh, yes, he's the king of Israel, but he's the king of much more. He's the king of eternity. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's he's the king of all. Hope he's the king of you. And is he the conqueror? Let me really give you something to think about. The eternal God is already declaring before the cross that Jesus is the conqueror. Has Jesus gone to the cross yet, yes or no? No, not yet. Has he bled and died yet, class? Yes or no? Not yet. Has he been buried and raised from the dead yet, class? Yes or no? Not yet. And yet, prior to all of that, Jesus is presented as the conqueror. Why is that? Because he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He is the conqueror. It's already a settled fact. Oh, may God help us to acknowledge who he is. One little little parenthesis. May I say this? There is a contrast here with kings and conquerors. There is a comparison to them, but there is also a contrast. You know what the contrast is? By the time of Jesus' day... Typically, the kings and conquerors did not ride on a donkey. They rode on horses. You know when that started? That started in Solomon's reign. If you read early in the historical books of the Old Testament, you see kings riding on donkeys and riding on colts. By the time you get to Solomon with all the riches and all the development of things, and he's got this uh, stable full of horses, now he's riding on the regal horse. So watch this, please. Does he come as king and conqueror? Yes, but he comes here in his humanity and his humility. He comes on the colt. He comes on the donkey. But there is a time that our Lord is coming back on a horse. Anybody remember when that is? Oh, yeah. Fast forward to the revelation of Jesus Christ. When he comes back riding on that white horse, listen, please, on that day, he's not coming in his humility. On that day, he's coming in all of his glory. The first time he rides into Jerusalem, he's coming in his humanity and his humility. Why? Because he's coming to die for our sins. What a Savior we have. And so look at these these principles. First, there's a purity that he deserves set aside for the holy purpose. There is a purpose that he designed to, to be in the greatest service, to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. But then a third thing, there is a principle that he demands. And what is the principle? That he demands. You ready? I'm going to give it to you in a word. Obedience. Obedience. Simple submission to the command of the master. Somebody said, do you mean by that the donkey? Well, certainly the donkey submitted. We don't have much record of that, but there's no record that he ran wild, is there? He was under the control of the one who held the reins or who had his hand on his mane. And so we understand the donkey obeyed and did what he was commanded. But do you see the obedience of everybody in the story? For example, look at, look at the story again just for a second. The Lord commands two disciples, and what does the Bible say? They, they obeyed. So the two disciples had to obey. Then they get in to the city to get the colt and to get the donkey, and the Lord already knew. Isn't it beautiful? The Lord already knew. Somebody's going to ask you, what are you doing with that? By the way, whose donkey was it? That's a good question, isn't it? We don't know. Was it somebody who was a disciple of the Lord, a believer? Was it someone that our Lord had previously orchestrated and, and uh, lined up? I don't know. The reality is, in some way, the Lord knew exactly whose house they were going to go to that had the donkey and the colt and exactly what that man was going to say and exactly what those disciples needed to say i just i see in this the great providence of our lord he was he was working all things together for good and read the gospel records and see all the things he borrowed he borrows a donkey he didn't need it for long just a day he borrows a room he didn't need it for long just a night he borrows a tomb he didn't need it for long just 3 days that in reality, he's really not borrowing, is he? Because he owns it all. He owns it all. It was his donkey. It was his. But watch this, please. The, the donkey has to obey. The disciples have to obey. And then, I would say this, the owner of that colt had to obey. We come full circle back to the statement. Mark it again in verse 3. The Lord hath need of him. That was enough. That was all he had to say. The Lord hath need of him. And that was enough for the man to say, release it. But I've marked in my Bible this expression in verse 6, they let them go. I wonder, what is it the Lord's putting his finger on in your life that you need to just let go to him? This is a beautiful picture of surrender, isn't it? You know what we do? Look up here just a minute. We, we get something in our hands, and it's different for everybody, that we want to hold on to. A relationship, a possession, a plan, an idea, an emotion, An unforgiveness. A besetting sin, something that we hold on to, and we want to keep that. And the Lord says, The Lord has need of that. The Lord has need of that. By the way, it's different for everybody in this room. I'll tell you when the blessing comes. Would you like to know when the joy comes? When the shout returns? Would you like to know when the Lord is, is front and center and all eyes are on Jesus? I'm going to tell you when it happens. It happens the moment that the disciple obediently just, boom, lets it go and says, Lord, it's not mine, it's yours. You can have it all. That's when real revival comes. And I'm pausing here a moment because the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. You're waiting on me to tell you what sin to confess? You're waiting on me to tell you what area of your life? You're waiting on me to tell you? I don't need to tell you. The real preacher is the Holy Spirit. He's telling every one of us. So what's the area? in every one of our lives, that we need to release the reins to the Lord, that we need to say to the Lord, Lord, this is in your service now. Lord, I'm not holding on to this anymore. What's the words of that old song? Uh, The Bible talks about, or the the hymn writer talks about, uh, simply to thy cross I cling. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. I love that. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of releasing whatever's in our hand and holding on to the Lord alone. Giving all to God. Look, put it in the nail-pierced hand of Jesus. You know he can do more with it than you can. I've marked something in my Bible. Would you do this? There's two questions. In verse 3, would you circle the word why? And in verse 5, would you circle the word what? Why and what? Those are two really good questions, aren't they? By the way, aren't they the same questions we asked today? (laughs) Could I point something out to you? Which one comes first? Sorry, I didn't hear you. Which one comes first? Hmm. You believe there's a divine order here? The Lord says, somebody's going to ask why you're doing this. I'll tell you what I've learned in my Christian experience. If you can answer the why, the what won't bother you. If you can realize Jesus is enough, the Lord is worthy. God is God and I am not. If you can answer the why, then whatever the Lord says to you, it won't be a big deal. That's tough, preacher. That's tough. No, no, it won't be tough when you realize who God is and who you are. So first you answer the why. Motive matters. Back to up. Why are we doing this? Why am I yielding this to the Lord? And then this question in verse 5 that they ask when they got there, what do you, what? So you, you answer the why, then you answer the what. The Lord has need of it. And whatever it is the Lord has need of, the answer should be Yes. For seven years, I directed a, a summer camp. I still preach in a lot of camps. and love working with young people. But for seven years, I directed a camp. And the pastor, I came to something. You know, most people think with young people, the great night of camp is the last night. That's what everybody thinks. You know, that's the, that's the big climactic night, and you have a big bonfire, and everybody's all stirred up for the Lord. That is not my favorite night of camp. My favorite night of camp was always the first night of camp. Matter of fact, if I can... If I can preach a half a week of camp and they say, well, which half of the week do you want? I always say, give me the first half of the week, not the end of the week. I'll tell you why. Because I learned something. The first night was most important. On the first night, if young people would at least go this far and say to the Lord, Lord, whatever you speak to me about this week, the answer is yes. If we could go that far with the Lord. We don't even know all the answers yet, all God's going to do. But we just say our initial yes to the Lord. Lord, we're wide open to you. We're we're ready to hear and we're willing to obey. If we can start there, that sets in motion everything else God's going to say and do the rest of the week. May I say to you, I've discovered in special meetings the same thing is true of the first meeting. Somebody say, oh, this is just the Sunday school hour. Oh, no, no. Don't minimize any, any hour. Somebody say, well, this is just a little Bible study. Well, it is a Bible study. But let me tell you that this, this one little thought, this one truth in the Word of God could be the key that opens the door, that unlocks all the blessing that God has for us. Do you find it interesting that on the most glorious day of our Lord's earthly life, He starts the story with a donkey? There was no day where. He had more attention given to him than the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. And yet, where does it all begin? It begins with simple humility and submission and obedience to God. It's powerful. Do you know the name Evan Roberts? I, I love history. I told you that. One of the things I love to read is the history of great revivals. One of my favorite revivals to read about is the Welch Revival. It shook the world. From Wales, God touched the world. I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of people got saved. You should read about the Welsh Revival. Because the Welsh Revival happened in little villages and hamlets, little out-of-the-way places in the mountains, little churches that some people never even heard of. You know when it started? When the people started getting humble before the Lord and truly, diligently, fervently seeking God. And Evan Roberts was a young minister in his 20s that God touched. He actually worked in the coal mines my grandfather was a coal miner and my mom's dad he was the farmer a coal miner you know those coal miners are tough people did you know that grandpa was crawling through a coal mine one day and a piece of coal fell and cut half of his ear off and grandpa picked it up crawled out of the mine got himself in his car drove to the hospital handed it to a nurse and said sew this back on and they did and they didn't clean it out good, and they sewed a little grayish green line of coal dust into his earlobe. It was there to the day he died. And as a boy growing up, I'd hear that story and see that line in his earlobe, and I wanted one of those. I thought, that's a man right there, you know. And those coal miners now, they're a tough breed. They said those coal miners in Wales, cussing, rough, crude. Revival broke out. God changed everything. They said, this is an interesting side note of the story talking about donkeys, they said their service animals, their donkeys stopped responding and stopped obeying like they should because they had been used to following curse commands. And when all those coal miners started getting saved, they stopped cussing and taking God's name in vain. Those donkeys got confused. They didn't know exactly what words they were using now. Evan Roberts taught the people in those churches to pray this prayer, Lord, bend me. That was the great prayer of the Welsh Revival, bend me, Lord. It became this, bend the church and save the world. You know what a service animal is? One that is bent low. And out of the coal mines, God brought a young man, a lowly servant, to lift up Jesus. And through that, one of the greatest revivals in the history of the world began. And I wonder, I really do, what would happen if God could find some lowly servants, humble enough and obedient enough, To simply say, Lord, whatever you want, the answer is yes, and I give that to you. The Lord hath need of you. On July 27, 1989, I was a 12-year-old boy. Had gone to a summer youth camp for the first time, and on that Thursday night, I was in a large auditorium filled with young people. I was seated in the farthest corner of the building that night, and that night God called me to preach. And I knew it. I knew the Lord wanted me. The Lord hath need of him. And I argued with the Lord as long as I possibly could. And finally, I realized that wasn't an argument I was ever going to win. And I remember I took one step down the side aisle, and I knelt at the altar off to the side. And through my tears, I said to the Lord, Lord, I don't know what on earth you want with me, but you can have my life. That night, an old country preacher there in West Virginia put his arm around me. He hugged me out in the lobby of the church, and he said, so God's called you to preach. I said, yes, sir. He said, great. Get your first sermon together. You're going to preach next week in a cottage prayer meeting. (laughs) And I remember saying, hold up. Let's talk about this thing for a minute. Never forget what he said to me. He said, son, if you don't start serving God now, you probably never will. And he was right. So I got my first sermon together. It was pitiful, let me tell you. The scripture's always good, but the sermon wasn't so hot. You know, when I preached on my first message. I preached on the Holy Spirit. What on earth did I have doing preaching on the Holy Spirit, 12 years of age? I think I found an outline in the book somewhere. Mr. and Ms. Logan's house. You remember cottage prayer meetings when people couldn't come to church, so they took church to them? And Mr. Logan was dying of cancer. He was in a hospital bed. Mr. and Ms. Logan there and a bunch of senior citizens from the church. And all those grandmas and grandpas sat around the edge of that room while I stood at the front door, gave my little sermon, five or six minutes. And when I finished It was terrible. When I finished, though, they all lined up, shook my hand, hugged my neck, told me it was the greatest sermon they had ever heard in their life, and I was the next Billy Sunday. They lied to me. That's what they did. But they encouraged me. And I learned something. I learned that when the Lord has need of something, if you just say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, God will do infinitely more than you ever could. So I wonder at this beginning meeting if we could just start here, this holy week. Lord, I'm yours. And whatever you want, the answer is yes. Father, bring a spirit of submission, a heart of humility, an attitude of obedience into all of us, we pray. Before I close the prayer, right right where you sit, with our heads and hearts bowed before the Lord, would you just talk to God for a moment? He's been talking to you, hasn't he? Speak to him for a moment. I wonder, could we all agree with this prayer? Could we all just make it our own right now and say, yes, Lord. Whatever you speak to me about this week, yes,
0: If this Bible message has been used of God in your life or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.